0: Well, I, I was going to make a full presentation with statistics and things. And when I was looking, I, I didn't believe the data, especially when you start looking and trying to figure out how they got their data. They were not very forthcoming on how they did that. Um, so currently, uh, the best estimate I had of the number of homeless people in Oklahoma was about 3,300, which I don't buy that for a minute. If if that is true, I will say that your average homeless person is way more destructive and um, a higher utilizer of resources than I ever thought possible. And, and, and I, I really doubt that. So um, maybe it's right. I couldn't figure out, you know, were they just going around counting people? Were they using some weird statistical model? There There is no clue. And so I, I don't buy it. But who knows, maybe they're right, but if they are right, then um, they're having way more of an impact in uh, what's going on in the medical community than um, I would have thought possible. But knowing some of these individuals, I suppose it's in the realm of possibility. So uh, I think when we think about the unhomed, I think one of the things you have to keep in mind is there's different classes of these individuals a lot, most of them, I'd say, are just people that fell in bad luck, and, and their they, homelessness is very transitory. Um, maybe they're couch surfing for a while while they get a job so they can save up to get back on their feet. I have a guy that I just met that still has his insurance. He kind of fell in bad times, and um, he's very with it. He's at the Day Center right now. He Got his own cardiac stress test plan so he could get pre-op clearance for his back surgery that he knows he's got and, and like this is like this is not the norm for this environment so he's just really in a in a bad way and really he just needed me to help him get his meds filled and see if there's anything else i could do for him to help keep him walking while he was trying to get his surgery going and try to get um, bus tokens there and back from his surgeries and that kind of person is extremely easy to help He's intelligent. He knows what he needs to do. He just had, you know, a raw deal with his health and lost his job and just needed some needed some help, like he get himself fixed. But uh, unfortunately, those are common, but you don't see them often. And uh, they're rewarding because you can really help them and get them out of that situation pretty quickly. But uh, you'll find that you know you've got your drug addict, alcoholic type uh, patient. You've got your um, schizophrenic. Um, bipolar, really uncontrolled type patient Uh, and uh, you have your personality, kind of a personality disorder kind of patient. They're the ones that just don't want to do what they're told to do. They want to kind of run their own, um, run their own ship, even though it's clearly not working out very well for them. Um, And, you know, if you can build their trust, sometimes you can explore why, why they are the way they are and maybe, how you can maybe meet them in the middle. Um, and and I have a fair number of people that just can't handle the stress of society. Those ones I kind of respect. I think they'd be trailblazers or they'd be sailors and eat olden days. They just don't want to they don't want to work a nine to five job. They just don't want to worry about taxes and paying utilities and they camp out on the river and you know they gather their recyclables for spirit change and I kind of I kind of get it. They're usually not really a nuisance to anybody. They usually keep to themselves. You know, They'll come in when they really need to be patched up, uh, but otherwise they're not typically super interested in preventative uh, health care. And then I have, a, I have a certain number of my clientele that they, man, they're like IQ 70, 80. They're not quite MR, but they just need maximal handholding to, um, they make their appointments. I mean, they might have Medicaid, but man, they're, they're not, they're just not smart or educated enough to navigate the system. So they see the doctor. Sometimes they don't even know how to go to the pharmacy and fill their prescription. They don't know how to get to the lab to get their blood drawn. I mean, they like literally every step of the way you have to be helping them. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, um I don't get frustrated with them because it's not, it's not in their. It's not like they're doing this on purpose. It's just how they are. And so, um, you know, I think you guys have probably seen that Medicaid has not solved all of our problems and it never will solve all of our problems. It's, it's helped a certain number of people to um, get back on their feet and um, things like that. But, you know, when, when you talk to the OHCa or you talk to these managed healthcare people, but, um, they look at Medicaid and, And, oh, we we explain our concerns that, you know, hey, this person, they they just don't get it. They just, they can't keep their appointment. They just, well, that's why we're here. It's like, no, you don't understand. Well, they can call us anytime. Well, no, they might have a phone today, but they left it on the bus yesterday because they weren't paying attention or they didn't pay their bill because they forgot because they didn't even know they had a bill to pay. It's like, you know, they just, they they really are that socially, incompetent. I mean, I'm not, don't, please, if I'm saying anything that sounds coarse, or I, I don't mean any, any hatred to these people. I love them, and, and uh, but I'm just being, matter of fact, so these are, these are things you have to consider. Um, seldom in this environment is ivory tower medicine going to work. Even in your, even in white suburbia, it often does, not people have their own ideas about what they want to do with their own health care, and And to a point, you have to respect it. Um, You know, if they're being really dangerous, sometimes you have to be like, well, you know, I can't probably help you any longer, you know, but I I usually let them go pretty far before it gets to that point of just kind of washing my hands. Especially in the homeless population, you got to meet them where they're at, you know. I can tell you story after story of people I have, but... I have one patient that is paranoid schizophrenic and barely will take her thyroid medicine and she'll come and see me and complain a lot, but she doesn't want to, you know, I'll give her like five or six options of things she can do, and none of them are usually anything she wants to wants to try. I'm like, well, surely, I'm sorry. I think I don't really have any other options for you. But you know, she still keeps coming back and seeing me. And every now and then she'll she'll take one of my many suggestions I try to find for her. Um, you know, the drug addict and the alcoholic, they, um, you know, even if they have Medicaid, they're often too inebriated to make their appointments. They're, they often get fired for missing too many appointments, um, which, you know, I understand you got to, you know, if you're running a private clinic, you may even understand that this person can't make it, but they can't show up and can't call. What are you really doing for them? You might as well make your schedule open for somebody that can. I wish I had more more suggestions on how to handle people. I just try to meet them where they're at and uh, try to get them to buy into what they're willing to do, you know, try to um, make sure that uh, I remove absolutely as many barriers to their health care that I can, realizing that I'll never be able to remove them all and hope that uh, they will do their part, you know, making sure they've got their medicines. I mean, case in point, I don't know how many times I've given somebody, actually physically put the antibiotics and steroids in their hand and say, okay, take this, and they'll come back and see the nurse two days later at the day center and say, well, I'm just not any better. The nurse will say, well, have you been taking your medicine? And the answer will be no. Do you still have your medicine. Yes. Sometimes no. Sometimes I lost it, but it's like... Well, I, you know, so, but how can I help you? You know, and sometimes I feel like I'm walking into a, like an alien planet where people just totally think way different, and it, it feels like that some days. But um, and then my nurse practitioner down there always says, "Well, where are you working at today?" Mm-hmm. Well, this is the day center. and they're not here for no reason. They're they're here because of uh, the the chronically homeless are usually there for a reason, either um, a lifetime of uh, Bad choices or just a lifetime of inability to care for themselves. So um, it's not going to change overnight. For some people, it will never change. Occasionally, I'll have a miracle somebody gets sober and, you know, job gets educated. I mean, that does happen sometimes, rare, but really exciting when it does happen. So why don't I open it up and, you know, you guys could tell me some of your, (laughs) some of your, frustrations, some of your experiences, and, you know, how do you, and you know, if you've got questions, how do you deal with this? I'm trying to make this a little more interactive, because um, I know how I deal with them, and sometimes the answer is there's not really a good answer, but I'm, I'm happy to um, open that up, and, you know, what what are you guys seeing when you're in the hospital and clinic? I don't even know. Maybe you have some homeless people who come here for, for, you know, with Medicaid expansion. Maybe you guys do have some. Homeless people that are coming here.
1: Um, Could you speak to? I know you mentioned that you try to meet them where they're at. Uh Um, Can you talk to us about like some things or tips that you found to be successful with uh, ways you've built rapport and helped to care for them spiritually?
0: Well, I think if you don't blow them off right away and you actually listen to them, you can establish some level of trust. Even if you make zero progress the first visit, if you just leave a door open and um, you kind of talk with them and try to see where they're at on why they don't want to do something. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's things like, I don't want to take my insulin. Well, why don't you want to take it, you know, and um, maybe they're very brittle and they don't like dropping all the time. Well, any insulin is better than no insulin. What if we use the let What if I only use the long-acting insulin? Because Um, say they're averaging 200. So it's better than averaging 500. You know, I mean, so, I mean, even the outcomes data shows that. I mean, maybe their A1C is still a 10, but it would be better if they were at a 9, 8, 7, 6. But um, if you can convince some of that, well, have you ever tried a sulfonylurea or did they just stick you on insulin when you're in the hospital? Because we all know when you're in the hospital, they will absolutely give you one unit of insulin a blood sugar of 140, you know? I mean, they just absolutely will. They won't try to give you metformin first, you know? So a lot of these people come out of the hospital, they just got on insulin that way. So maybe tried something else. And, you know, if they absolutely won't do insulin, sometimes i will never tried world Sometimes I'll, I'll give it a try and just see, you know? I have one poor guy that's insulin dependent and he's, uh, uh, and I tried on him, it failed, but. You know, he, he's blind from strokes and from retinopathy and um, very insensate. So he can't see and he can't feel the clicks. And so I, I like, well, maybe, maybe just eight milligrams of Amaril a day will do something. Well, it did, but I tried, you know, and in his case, it wasn't, I wasn't willing to, as I, I, I physically can't. And unfortunately, the day center is not a nursing home. And um, he was willing to go to a nursing home, believe it or not, unless somebody take care of him. But then uh, the state and the tribe got involved and put up barriers to make that happen. Apparently, he is part of a co-op owning some property, and until he releases that, he doesn't qualify for state assisted housing. And uh, he's like, "Well, I would get rid of it if I could." So, I mean, we tried calling APS, and let me tell you guys, APS is less helpful than if they did not exist. They're a total waste of our taxpayer money. Um, not not one time have I ever called them where they helped, and many times where they have actually made the problem worse. And, uh, so I wish that were not the case.
1: <laughs> so kind of a broad question, but um, since you've gone through IHI, you know the experience of um, being resident and learning like the resources that we have in the area. What are what have you learned over the years and recommendations for us in terms of troubleshooting with patients where it's like um yeah there's barrier after barrier that are i don't know what to do about it like how what are steps we can
0: take so um no no matter how how thin you slice the the, the bread and there's always two sides of it so but a lot of times what they were telling you is somewhat accurate you know and, and uh, you know i would probably get frustrated too if i had to go to this agency and wait 3 hours to be told no it to just to go to this agency to Wait three hours, hop a bus with three stops, just to be told no. I mean, I'd get sick of it too, and a lot of them do. So, um, you know, one one good thing is at the day center, at least, we have points of contact at the at the different organizations, and some of them are more helpful than others. Um, the one that starts with the M and ends with Orton is not very helpful. Um, they, uh, any anyway, rate, they've been they've been very unhelpful for us. Uh, but sometimes you just have to realize that some of these organizations will help you, and some of them will not. Either they can't or won't. And at the end of the day, basically, at the end, you know, at the end of the day, it's basically the same. The patient didn't get helped. So um, there are things we can often do with um, like food stamps. Like if they're truly disabled, just writing them something on a script pad saying that they can't work. And that'll help them get. You don't even have to write their medical condition. You just have to say. They can't work, I don't expect this to change in six months, or I don't expect this to change in one year. Something that simple can get them food stamps and really help. Uh, yeah, having points of contact. If you there's certain organizations that you're thinking of that have not been super helpful, um, yeah, I mean, I, I could probably get the information of the right people to talk to for you. So, because uh, there's, there's people at Salvation Army and, and Iron Gate and State governments are obese.
1: So, follow up question to that. Um, so, I, I have a, a couple of patients on my panel who are very, very high risk for being unhomed. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, would they qualify in the same way for some of these resources, or do it, is it a whole nother category where I'm going to have to put another?
0: That's interesting. Um, people that are in transitional housing usually have the same access to resources. Um, a lot of the statistics I saw, transitional housing, like uh, uh, like these halfway houses and uh, such, a lot of them will, some, some organizations counted them as homeless too, and some did not. Um, so maybe you're part of Salvation Army, and you're technically housed as part of one of their work programs, They're, that's still considered homeless. Um, but um, yeah, so what I would say for the people that are at risk of being um, unha- unhomed is uh, making sure that they uh, have information on who they can talk to at like uh, like a case manager over at, say, Salvation Army or, or the Day Center. And then another thing that I do for a lot of my people that are at... Uh, High risk of being unhomed is uh, I think good luck working with the Tulsa Housing Authority. Uh, there's two different routes of getting people that are at risk housed, and the Tulsa Housing Authority is one, if they're disabled in any way, you can kind of get them to the top of the list. And then the Mental Health Association also has some ways, like you've got somebody that's bipolar schizophrenic that clearly can't take care of themselves. A lot of times the Mental Health Association can help them get housed. Um, most of the people that I see that have difficulty getting housed through um, Tulsa Housing Authority or the Mental Health Association, um, you know, if their sole uh, disability is purely substance abuse, that can be challenging. Uh, if they're sexual offenders, um, and unfortunately in, in Tulsa County, you can be a sexual offender just by peeing on a tree in public, which I'd, I'd like to know who's the idiot, who's the one that was going to molest my child. You know, I wish there was some kind of way we could distinguish that. Unfortunately, in the eyes of the Tulsa, Tulsa County, there's no, 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 um, there's just no you know, differentiation. Yeah, so very frustrating. I mean, I'd be okay with them making an idiot list of putting people on the idiot <laughs> list, but you know, they they could still be housed because they're safe. You know, just realize that. You know, very frustrating resources for homeless and un, uninsured? Yes, yeah, um, absolutely. So um, Family and Children's Services is, is uh, who I use a lot. Um, women in Care Co- Recovery Program has been a huge uh, resource for a lot of the ladies that are, a lot of those women that get into that program are so taken to such a low point by their addiction that they are end up homeless and often prostituting themselves for drugs. Uh, so, there's definitely resources. Um, I think Cree Oaks helps us people outside of Tulsa County, like if they're in Cree the, uh, um, County. Yeah. So definitely, there's resources. I, in um, fact, Family Children's goes out to the day center a couple times a week to do intake for people to kind of assess them and see where they need to go. So, yeah, and but one one nice side effect of to that too is with the intake process, they'll they'll screen them for Medicaid because a lot of them will qualify. And we have people from uh, the Tulsa Healthcare Coverage Project. They um, partner with OU, but they go around town to a lot of our clinics and screen people too to see who qualifies for Medicaid. A lot of the homeless population will qualify, um, but it so happens that a lot of the people that I end up seeing at the day center do qualify, but they just can't manage to get to their appointments. They just can't like, we're really, to give the nurses at the day center credit, they're super patient with them and they really work with them to try to make sure they're taking their meds, letting them pill boxes, you know. So
1: I have a patient who is at the day center actually, and she's able to come here by the bus, um, but she needs colonoscopy. (laughs) and So you have to have someone take you home
0: uh, and
1: so just trying to I mean I guess is the sooner ride that's to do that I don't know exactly like so um, the best
0: option sooner ride probably would if she she's did you say she stays in the day center we if she'll come by the medical clinic and talk to our RN case manager we will make sure that um, there's people at the day center like you think you think oh well these homeless people they're all they're all just and for themselves are all selfish. No, there's actually plenty of them that are very nice and they'll go she's
1: super sweet. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. No, they would get like they, we can usually recruit a buddy to go with them there. Okay. Even make sure that they like when they wake up, they're okay. Get them on the the bus or the taxi. Yeah we can we can make sure they get transport there. Okay. So as long as we get an appointment and she can um she's made us. two
1: appointments with me. So like yeah, yeah. I was like she's like we, them, but
0: we, we absolutely can't. So all, all she needs to do is sign up to see the nurse case manager in the medical clinic and we can make sure transport happens. So whether by bus or by taxi, we can make it happen. Sounds like she's capable of using the bus system. Yeah, yeah. And we can make sure that there's somebody, we can find a volunteer buddy. Like there's people there that are very nice that will they're clients that so will go with you. Um, there's also people in the center that are not very nice. So would steal the hair right off your head just for sport. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> they can get away with it. <laughs> but like, I've had
1: some patients who end up seeing the hospital, but they're like, "I'm here because I went to a shelter, but someone stole my medicine." Uh-huh. And they don't like when they leave the hospital, they don't want to go back to the shelter, and because they just don't trust yeah. the people there. And then you know, it's like. There's so many
0: limited Yes, Yes, it, it is difficult. Um, I can see why they wouldn't. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I was a resident, you couldn't say discharge to the street. You had yeah. to have a place for them to go, which is kind of pie in the sky, I think sometimes. Uh, I had one guy that, yeah, he came to the day center for like three days and then he like, nope, I'm gone back to my farm, my barn. But uh, So, those kinds of cases um, at least at the day center we can keep the bulk of your medicine under lock and key and dispense you like a week at a time and if that were to happen at least we could refill your meds what you have and so the, yeah we could make it work but then I'd have to figure out a way of helping more which is okay I mean we can we can do it I, I still even though I don't do um, even though I don't do any billing or anything like that? I'm still Medicaid credentialed, so a lot of these people I can still um, uh, I can still write scripts and get it paid for for them. So and we we're pretty good about having money set aside to help them with their copays too. So because yeah, I mean, four dollars doesn't sound like much, but when you've got ten medicines and you don't got a job, it's a lot of money. So.
1: share a little bit of your like testimony of how you got involved with the unhomed and like, you know, um, but yeah, things that got us taught this taking
0: care of this vulnerable population. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with a uh, good Sam proper, uh, we, we treat anywhere from Skid Row to, um, to working class poor. I mean, we always have, so we'd always get a, 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 a we'd always get a homeless person here or there. And, uh, Or somebody that all half of my patients are at risk of being homeless, you know, because of socioeconomic reasons. But uh, so, yeah, actually, whenever my third or fourth year I worked for Good Sam, one of the sisters that has since uh, retired, I think even passed away back when St. John was still run by the Catholics. uh, she She had it in her heart to get a homeless clinic going at the Day Center, and she made that happen. So, and I'm glad I didn't um, start at the Day Center right when uh, uh, I started Good Sam, because I definitely needed to sort of mature as a human being and and learning to deal with people that had less than ideal uh, living situations, Uh, because before I was you know, I was never a total jerk, but I, I would really take it to heart when, when people would come to me and solicit my advice and then not do what I say. It's like, well, why did you, why did you waste my time? You know, I, I would feel personally insulted at times, which is, which is foolish. I mean, I, I ask people for advice and ignore it all the time. So, <laughs> so I mean, I'm not any better, but um, you no, know, the Lord has really taught me to practice non-judgment in ways that, um, was not capable of doing before. So it, it's it learning how to detach and not take things personally, even if they might mean it personally, when they're mad at you, um, it's good. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I've definitely had times in my life where I was just stuck in sin, just stuck in it and not knowing how to get out, not willing to get out and, uh, I see parallels of that in a lot of their lives. They're just stuck, you know, for whatever reason, either spiritual, emotional, physical, they're stuck. And how can you have grace with these people? They just, they do need love. Even the nastiest, meanest ones of them, they still need love. They still need care. Sometimes you can provide it for them. Sometimes they'll open up and let you give it to them. But even when they're total jerks and, and uh, nasty and mean and all that, how do you still show Jesus to them? So, it. it uh, I'm still learning that. I still haven't. I still haven't grasped it. And sometimes I still get annoyed. But uh, a lot of times, I, whenever I feel like I'm like annoyed and, and grumbling, it's not really so much that I'm mad at them. It's more like I'm dealing with, a, a, like you know, a child that I'm frustrated with. I still love them, but I'm like, oh man, they're getting on my last nerve, you know. But I don't hate them, and I don't wish them any ill will. I don't resent them in any way. I, I want what's for their best. And sometimes I do get frustrated and I think we all do at times and that's okay just don't take it out on the patient <laughs> you know If you need to if you need to go walk to another room and hit your head against the wall for a couple of minutes go for it but, but yeah I mean I've definitely earned some patience the hard way by by working there and that I mean that's good I mean but a lot of my patients there are super nice super grateful you know even the ones that I mean, some of my patients that um, are the IQ 70, 80 types, they're super nice and super sweet. You know, they just need help. You know, they're not bad people. You know, they're just simple and, and that's okay. And um, Unfortunately, with our rapidly uh, advancing technology and society, they're, they're just not, it's like the, the places for these people is just really shrinking. You know, it's just, you know, when everybody has to be, Heck, even at McDonald's, you're, you're using a computer and you're, you're having to get orders shouted at you. I mean, you're still having to be three places at once, even someplace that we consider an entry level, simple job, you know, a lot of them have just, it's tough. So, so. my sympathy and my patience have certainly increased tremendously. And, um, and, and I think another thing that's really helped me is um, you know, over the years, when I got out of residency, like I was so burned out, like doctor was my identity at that point. And I'm, I'm learning how to be a human again through a lot of this. And uh, just learning how to take care of people, meet them where they're at, just, you know, it's not like I'm here to help you be the, I'm here to help maximize your potential. I am not here to be an authoritarian um, like a general and you're some soldier that I'm trying to uh, get a certain outcome or meet a certain objective. I'm trying to help you um, have the best life you can. And the way I do that is through your physical and mental health. I, I can't do that in every aspect of your life, but that's what I'm here for. I'm not here to um, make you perfect or, or uh, just to reach a certain number. I'm here to help you live the kind of life you wanna live. Wish I, had, wish I had all the answers. I don't. No. Oh, I think one of my best stories I'll tell you guys is that uh, I remember having to begrudgingly as a resident have to call psych to consult this guy. And uh, the, the psychiatrist said, well, why are you consulting me? It's like, well, the surgeon says he's suicidal. And he said, "Why? The surgeon says he's suicidal. So the patient doesn't say he's suicidal. No, the patient just doesn't want to get his leg cut off without having a chance to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know he just, he just needs so I mean that's was like, yeah, I'll come up and see him, but you know just just that kind of mentality, and I've very much been the surgeon in many in many uh many other encounters, you know, just like well, they just want to die. <laughs> it's like, no, they don't want to die they just they, that's not what they're wanting they they just they're having a hard time accepting something and uh, they're needing some time to digest. <clears throat> This is the stuff you see in medicine. So funny, so many things. So yeah, you're going to see a lot of a lot of people that are going to refuse procedures, or and you know, like yeah. how many how many times have you guys seen this? Well, I can't go to the hospital. Why not? Well, my dog needs me. I'm sure you guys have all heard that one, right? Nobody's going to take care of my dog. You know, so well, I'm take care of your dog. Just go to the hospital. You know. <laughs> Care of anyone's dog, I haven't yet, but I was willing to. I was willing to if they go. I know that I know that that breaks every boundary you're supposed to have with your patients, but I don't really care that much. So, if somebody wants to complain to the medical board, I have to explain that I take care of somebody's dog so they go get a cat. I'm, I'm willing to go mm-hmm. anytime. <laughs> so
1: Talk
0: a little bit about like some of
1: the pathology you see with think, like, Yes, might, we have to have a higher radar
0: for. It. Yeah. So you guys ever hear the basal cell never metastasizes? Mm-hmm. Oh, it never, never, never metastasizes. It does. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen at least four in my in my time with Good Sam. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. Gosh, them going to their skulls is probably the most common. You know and then they're getting radiation and these orphan drugs for chemo uh, had a guy with a basal cell that did not um, metastasize fortunately for him but he uh, he was homeless and uh, he looked it was about that big about that deep he looked like a shark had taken a bite out of his back so, so solar uh, advanced advanced stages of diseases that would normally be caught and taken care of you will see a lot Lots of uh, lots of skin, lots of lung cancers, lots of malignancies because people don't get their, uh, their colonoscopies. There, lots of uh, advanced breast necrotic breast cancers. Seen a lot of that. Were you, do you have something? Yeah.
1: So uh, I'm just thinking. I was just envisioning, like, ah, so we work in Sam, so like, ah, we see these patients that like, yeah. they, they use your, yeah. So, so the question is. Um, Sometimes I, I can struggle to know where to start or or where to focus in in an encounter where there may be a wildly uncontrolled diabetes or hypertension, yeah. but like, but the actual problem is is beneath that. Like there's a there's a root cause that right. try as I might, unless that's addressed, nothing's gonna change. And so um and so then as a physician, how do we view our role? Um like, in part, medically, legally, um, but then also, like, for patient outcomes, like, good patient outcomes, how do we approach an encounter like that where you're just meeting yeah. and you're like, wow, there's a lot going on here?
0: So, medical, legally, um, if you want to do so, <laughs> don't ever be the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> so, try to de- chart a little bit defensively. I'm not saying you have to do this on every single patient, but when you've got a patient like that, one, one diagnosis code, like, there's complex social situation. You can use them. Putting that on the chart and explaining why often will kind of help. It's like, hey, I thought about this. I know this patient's complicated. I'm doing my best here, guys. Please don't rake, rake me over the coals for this. But um, I don't beat my patients up for eating out of a food pantry. So you're going to eat lots of beans and rice and carbs. And so, yeah, a lot of people, unless you address that, their sugars often will not be controlled. So I don't, I don't beat them up for things that are outside of their window. But I will say, tell them, you know, once we get you in a more stable environment, once you have an apartment cooking implements, we'll have to really hone in on that. In the meantime, I'm just going to have to really focus on what we can control, which is how much insulin you're taking, which is how much whatever medicine you're taking, and uh, kind of if you can kind of keeping it on the radar. I know it's tough because with Good Sam, you guys aren't there every day like I am, so you don't get to know the patients. But, you know, um, a little blurb under your assessment, say, hey, right now, um, addressing the root cause is not possible because of living. Um, and also with Good Sam, you don't have to feel too too bad about defensive charting because um, I think Dr. Wollaston says like no free clinics ever been sued or something ridiculous <laughs> like that because lawyers know there's no money to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's terrible, but it's true. But um, but you're going to see these people in your regular clinic too. And, and those are the times, you know, that you want to... I did have one lady that tried to sue me. She had a slow-growing um, ovarian neoplasm that wasn't like, uh, like the regular dangerous kind, but um, she wouldn't get her surgery. She wouldn't get her sugars under control. She always had a no reason, always had an excuse, always came and complained. And I always offered her multiple different options on each encounter um, what we could do. We could admit you to the hospital. You know, if, if we have to have surgery, we can get you on an insulin drip. To, but um, she never took it up and she wanted to sue me, but no attorney would take her case because I had basically bent over backwards trying to, I could, with her, I could kind of see this coming from a mile away. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there's no good answer for their life situation. I mean you can be real with them and, and talk with them and you have to be sensitive because nobody wants to nobody wants to think it's their fault for having an alcoholic husband beating them, you know, and nobody wants to um, nobody wants to uh, beat themselves up because, you know, hey, I'm poor and I'm eating rice for dinner every night and how much protein, you know. But, uh, so with those people though, I'm like, hey, you know, maybe I'll drink the soda. If you've got donuts there, maybe leave those alone. But if you have to eat beans and rice every night, that's what you have to do. So. When they tell you they're eating rice and stuff, do you ask them if they're going to the food pantry to get that, or you assume they? Well, are? Um, yeah, I usually will ask them how they're, you know, how they're getting food. And Is it food pantry? Is it food stamps? Is it? And you know, food stamps. I mean, I think. I think if you get the maximum benefit it was something like six bucks a day is what it goes out to, which, you know, I mean, that's not much. So you're going to be stuck with a lot of, but yeah, I try to figure out how they they get food. And many of them, I mean, I've had many people when they do get housed, indeed their sugars do come down because they really don't want to eat like that. Get cooking implements and they actually use it. No, some don't. I mean, I I have a lot of my people that have absolutely no... I mean, you'd just be shocked, you guys. Some of these people like literally have no idea how to cook eggs or boil water. I mean, they're really that like, you know, if it's not a microwavable food item or already pre-prepared, they they have no clue how to to cook at all. So uh, Crossover Clinic in North Tulsa has uh, a uh, program where any of my diabetics on the North side that have an A1C over 8, they'll sign them up for fresh... uh, produce, and cooking classes, which is huge, because a lot of people do not know how to cook. I mean, They would have thought provide the food, but obviously they would know
1: how to cook, right? Right, right, but not everybody does.
0: It's, it's so wild. I mean, <laughs> I went to, so I'm an, I am also myself an addict in recovery, and I went up to 90 days of inpatient treatment, and it was so weird. I was there, like there's like this 67 year old neurosurgeon, alcoholic, and we were sitting there teaching these young men how to clean toilets mm-hmm. and like grill meats. like they had no clue. They, they didn't know how to, they had no life skills whatsoever. Here we are like teaching them how to sweep and mop and You know, but I mean, it makes sense though. You got these kids that um, they got hooked on drugs at 14. They, well, they just emotionally arrested right wherever they were at when they got on these, these substances. It's amazing. How do you best deal with um, you know patients that are unhomed who who need things, but also are kind of trying to get secondary gain as well from a well, of You know, uh, you ha- you have to have some boundaries, and um, you have to look and weigh what they're wanting versus what they're needing. Uh, and some people do very very in the way, Because um, I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm not kidding here. Like half the people at the day center probably have some kind of chronic pain syndrome. They do. And some of them are just insistent that they want a day mat. They just want to lay around all day. Well, we just don't do that because you need to be up and we need to leave those spots available for people with like pneumonia and stuff like this. They get very mad or, you know, we only have so many people we can shelter at night. And some of them just get very, very mad because they can't stay there at night. And well, you, you, you get a little bit more of the story. Well, why can't they stay there at night? And uh, the case manager's like, well, she's just been unwilling to do any of the things we've offered her to uh, get housed. And you're like, well, I can't just justify when there's other people that want to come in and work it, Yeah, it, it happened. But, so there, there is a lot of secondary gate issues. But, you know, if it's reasonable, if what they're asking for is reasonable, yeah. even if I suspect it, a lot of times I'll give it to them because who knows, gotcha. you know, if they're wanting lotion for their feet or, you know, yeah, spray yeah. and stuff, you know. Maybe they're taking it out and selling it for cigarettes. I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) but if it's reasonable. Yeah, I had a patient who's in a shelter, who reportedly has a broken hand and doesn't want to work. Um, He refused x-rays and when we tried to call and figure out where she had the simply done, she never showed up to the place. Yeah. And so she doesn't want to help, I guess, part of the program that she's in. Well, and- and Because you don't want to be harsh because they want her to never come back. I I think in those kind of situations, you just, you you have to tell people, this is what I can do for you. Yeah. This is what I can't do for you. And um, some people will receive that and some people will not. And if they act unreasonably and you're being reasonable, then they're probably an unreasonable person. I wouldn't take it personally and I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel bad or guilty. I had a, I had a colleague at my first job and he said that reasonable people treated reasonably act, re, respond reasonably. Yeah. So if you know you're being reasonable and you're offering something reasonable and they're responding not, then it's on their side of things. And one thing I usually say is if you change your mind, if you want x-rays, if you want to see the surgeon, I will make it happen. But at the same time, I, I there's not much else I can help you with. And I've had people swear at me, get mad, screen. scream. At any rate, I haven't always been the best behaved person myself, so I'm not that mm-hmm. no one. Yeah, I I actually, when I went to treatment, they they diagnosed me with two separate uh, personality disorders. You probably couldn't tell that today. I think I'm in remission from them by the the mercy of the Lord. (laughs) Him alone, do I give glory? (laughs) At any rate, it's very, so. And, you know, some of the worst cases you'll see um, miracles happen. There was a patient of mine that terrible hips and he was bitter and in pain and using meth and um, he was hobbling along the road with his uh, um, with his uh, uh, walker one day and dr plaster the ortho saw him on the road and said you're coming with me and they, he got he got both of his hips fixed now the dude like i just showed up to a um, like a tiffy lube or something one day i was like do i know him but he he gained a ton of weight he was working He's like, look at me, man. And he was just doing squats. Like, he <laughs> me. I'm sober. I go to AA. I go to NA. I'm living over here. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a miracle right there. God had mercy on me. So yeah, it's just incredible when it happens. The world is super excited when it does. So I mean, you can see some of the you know, you see some of the most hopeless cases turn around. Some of them don't. You know, I see people that should die that don't, missing people that shouldn't die that do. Yeah, Thank you so much. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep the human element and don't take. Me-